0: You can bomb the world to pieces, but you cannot bomb the world to peace. That's a quote from a song by Michael Fronte. (laughs) I've used that quote quite a bit in some of my podcasts, but I just think it puts so simply this truth. And the truth is that you cannot combat hate with Hate. You cannot overcome violence with violence, and violence is what I want to talk about today. We're in a nine-part series called Justice and Contemplation. This is part two, and this part is called Violence. Fun stuff. (laughs) This is going to be interesting. I think. I don't know how where this is going to go, but I'm excited to find out. What a topic, right? Violence. Like, who wants to talk about violence? Well, we are today. This is the Modern Contemplative Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ory. Um, if you haven't realized it, I do several different podcasts. I do two podcasts. One is called The Construction Monk. The other is called The Modern Contemplative. Uh, they both fall under my the same podcasting site. Um, the Construction Monk tries to take a more kind of earthy biblical approach towards these topics, and in the modern contemplative, I explore more of them my mystical background, my contemplative background. So just an FYI, you can catch both. You'll find both on my feed. Um, at different times, I'm recording f- for one or the other. So today, we're delving into more con- contemplative ideas through this series called Justice and Contemplation, and today we're going to talk about violence. I know it doesn't sound like fun, right? But I think it's important. Like I think in our society, we don't know what to do with anger. And I think as a result, we don't know how to resolve it in healthy ways. We tend to just shove it under the rug. I had this experience this past summer where I was working in my father-in-law's shop. I was building my I was building our kitchen cabinets. We're renovating the house we live in. I'm a I am a construction monk. I'm a carpenter. Uh, so, I do construction for a living, but we're also renovating our house. We just purchased it last March. I decided to build my own cabinets. It was it was gonna say, It did save us thousands of dollars. So, and I love it. So, I'm building my own cabinets. I spent a day, a long day, in the shop painting um, all the doors and drawer fronts for these for the base cabinets. I'd already built the base cabinets. I was covered up because I'm painting them in a spray booth. And it was just a grueling day. It was hot, I was sweaty, I was wearing heavy garments on the hot day. And I I come home late. Still light out, but it's late. And I had put some cabinets in the back of my truck to bring home some of the base cabinets, which were finished. So I get home, I get them all in except I have the corner cabinet. The corner cabinet is larger because it's just bigger. And I couldn't fit it in the door. So i went through this whole rigmarole first i removed the front door then i removed the screen the storm door still can't get it through finally i realized i can fit it in through the window so i take the sashes of the window out but i realized these particular windows have a metal bar across the middle of the window which prevents me from bringing the cabinet in so i had to take that i had to literally break that bar out and it just was like a What could have taken five minutes walking a cabinet through the front door took me an hour and a half and I was already tired and I just felt this growing sense of anger and frustration in me. By the time I got that stinking cabinet in the through the window, and all the hassle, I was just I just felt this rage. I just felt this strong anger. And I hate that. I always hated feeling angry. My dad, if you don't know, my dad had a lot of anger. He was at times physically abusive, at times emotionally, verbally abusive. And I determined as I became an adult never to punish the world around me with my anger, never to let my anger lash out and hurt others. What I didn't realize was that I really basically decided to stuff my anger down, which you don't know, it didn't do any. They didn't get rid of it, right? Stuffing is horrible. I think as a culture, as a Western American culture, we don't know what to do with anger. And so we we tend to run away from it, stuff it down, hide from it, hide it inside ourselves. But that doesn't solve it. It doesn't do anything. It actually makes it worse. So like, like anything that we cut off, Like any emotion that we cut off from feeling, one, it doesn't go away, two, what happens is we don't learn how to deal with it, face it, and resolve it, it actually continues to grow like a pressure cooker. And anger, when it builds to a pressure that is uncontrollable, you know what we call that? We call that rage. If you're oppressed and suppressed long enough, that's not good. And so we need to learn how to bring anger out into the open to look at it. ...to deal with it and to resolve it. But I think we're inherently handicapped in our culture. I think it's interesting to note... ...that we run to people who are sad and depressed... ...but we run away from people who are angry and frustrated. But did you re- do you realize that those two things... ...come from the same basic place... ...of hurt, of being hurt... ...of feeling wronged, of feeling abused and oppressed. And when we're talking about justice... We have to understand that sometimes anger is an expression of injustice. It's an expression of being wronged. And if your only stance towards anger is don't feel it, shove it down, don't address it, run away from it, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, and you cut it off and you ignore it and you push it away and you just say it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, then you never address the underlying issues creating it, which are almost always or which are often injustice and wrong. Whether there's true injustice... When we are angry, it's because we feel that there's something wrong happening to us. And anger is a natural expression of feeling wronged. And so, we cannot just say, oh, we cannot just say people are bad because they're angry. We have to learn healthy ways to let it out, to see it, to work through it. Does that make sense? Um, Now, I think... Um, there are good ways to let it out and bad ways, of course. Like, we need to learn healthy ways. But the, something that I've learned, just this is just a life lesson, that you you have to do something poorly before you learn to do something well. And so I've realized this in my own life, dealing with my own anger. Like, I'm co- I've come to a place where I'm just now starting to let it out, to stop stuffing it. But I've also had to, to accept the reality that I can't let it out really well and really healthy ways yet. It's messy. It's a very messy, powerful emotion. And if I say, well, I'm not going to ever let it out unless it comes out clean and healthy and good and controlled, I'll never learn how to let it out in healthy and controlled ways if I just don't first start letting it out, start expressing. I know it's messy. And I've had like my wife is She's an Enneagram 7, if you don't know the Enneagram. So Enneagram 7s love, they're joyful, they're celebratory people. They love parties, they're very social, but they run from dark emotions. And so whenever I have any kind of intense emotion, my wife is like, where's the door? <laughs> so I've not lived, at least in my marriage, in a uh, relationship state that that has been very healthy for me to let out my anger. So it's been a struggle. And I think... Culturally speaking, we don't live in a society that really says that really has a healthy maturity to let people who are frustrated and angry get it out. We tend to have a seven culture in some ways, an Enneagram seven culture, where it's like, get, oh, me, get me out of this. I remember I was in Target. This was just in the last six months or so. I was in Target. I get out of my truck. And instantly, my attention is drawn to somebody like five rows away in the parking lot who's just ranting. I look over. There's this middle-aged gentleman, not that well-dressed, and he's pacing and ranting. And he's like yelling out loud and nobody's around him. And I look. I start observing people going into the store. And everybody's looking at this guy and like making a beeline for the the store. They're like, I don't know what's going on over there. I don't know why this guy's upset, but I'm getting the heck out of here because – That, that is explosive, that is dangerous, that is just just danger, and I want to run away from it. Like, that's the epitome of our culture. Like, it's important that we learn to be the kind of people who can handle when someone's frustrated and say, Hey, what's going on? Why are you feeling hurt? Instead of, please shut up, get away from me, I don't want to deal with your anger and your emotion. I think it's so true that we do not, we don't have the maturity. We often don't have the maturity to let angry people get it out, and help them figure out what's going on and how to heal. You know, and in terms of justice, we've this past year has been a year of much upheaval, the the pandemic, but also uh, some civil rights action going on with Black Lives Matter. And I've heard, I've watched, I've listened to a lot of the. A lot of the comments on either side, and one of the comments on the kind of what we could say the oppositional side is just criticizing people for being angry and how they're expressing their anger. And I understand, like, I would never condone violent action from frustrated, angry people, but but we have to have some semblance of sensibility to say these people are hurting. Whether you think it's real or not, I don't want to, I don't, that's not the point. This is a person that's hurting, and they're angry, and they're frustrated, and they feel like they've been pushed down and oppressed for centuries. And we have to at least recognize that is a truth. They feel oppressed, and I think it's also sensible to say it's not manufactured. Like, this is a real raw emotion. Whatever the reasons, whatever the validity, they truly feel this way. And it's an expression of their sense of being wronged. And so I think it's it's important to understand violence is an expression of injustice. Now, there are some, there obviously there are healthy and unhealthy ways. A lot of times I noticed this. I am a mystic. I have what is called spiritual discernment, which means that I'm very in tune with spiritual energy. People. ...put out spiritual energy. It's what we could also call sometimes emotional energy. It's like... It's this energy behind things. I have... I'm very sensitive to... Uh, ...oppressive, forceful, angry energy. And... Um, I, I can... There's two kind of... There's two ways that this can come out. Like when someone's upset and angry and feels wronged... There's two kind of reactions. Sometimes they're, they're simply crying for help. Like they're saying... Hey... I am really hurting. Can you please help me? And it's a cry for help. Some anger is an expression of a cry for help. Sometimes, though, I've noticed there's a different energy, and that other energy is I'm hurting, I'm angry, and misery loves company. I just want to drag everybody else down into my frustration and my pit. And so, obviously, anger and anger as an expression of a cry for help or anger as a cry for help is fine anger as as an expression of I want to hurt a lot of other people because I'm hurt is not good again when someone is hurting they're not usually very cognitive and balanced in how they're expressing it but but we have to understand in dealing with angry people we need to point them towards healing not just commiserating with them because commiseration can just add fuel to the fire. You know, imagine someone's angry and they're hurt and they feel they've been wronged and you're like, yeah, that's right, yeah, that's you're so right. Commiseration, there may be a place for that, but eventually you need to turn the corner and say, now how can, what can we do? How can we begin to address this issue? How can we resolve the issue? If there's never a point of resolution, then all we have is commiseration, which actually just ramps up and intensifies and magnifies anger and can point it down a path towards violence and riots and really then reproducing and and entrenching a cycle of violence right we could see easily how when someone is angry when a group of people are angry and they lash out and they there's always collateral damage there's always blowback like you expressing that you're hurt You could end up hurting a lot of other people. And then what have you created other hurt people who are lashing out? That is a problem. If we're going to truly address anger and resolve it, we need to stop the cycle that just perpetuates anger. And so, it's important to recognize that anger is often an expression of injustice. But the direction we take it is so important. We need to turn that anger towards resolution we need to resolve it and we need to say yes i i hear you i see you you're right you've been wronged i understand why you're angry but let's move towards reconciliation towards peace let's move towards healing not hurting not not just repeating the cycle you know so when when we're coming alongside people who are hurting who are lashing out, who are angry, who feel the injustice and are burning with that injustice. It's important to come alongside and not just feel the fire of anger, but to turn towards peace, to turn towards healing. Healing is the only way that truly these things get resolved. Um, dang it, I just ran into a branch right in the eye. <laughs> I forget to say this sometimes, but I'm out on the trails. Um, So I'm walking in the woods. You might hear me walking. It's late. It's it's December. I was gonna say it's late fall, but it's really not. So there's no birds out, but you know you might hear some of the sounds of me walking. So, Um, okay, I think that's a good start, right? Violence, violence, and anger can be an expression of injustice, but it's important how we come alongside angry people. It's important that we first do come alongside angry people. Let them be angry, don't, don't take that away. But two, then how we come alongside, come alongside and then how we come alongside is in love. Because love is the only true resolution to hate. So how do we come alongside hurting angry people in love? That's the question. How do we break the cycle? just commiserating and ramping up and fueling the rage by joining in and also how do we kind of point people who are in that in the throes of that pain and hurt how do we point them towards healing as well i really love the example of mlk martin luther king jr now (laughs) look i'm a white guy i get it you know like i'm you know, I'm not a civil rights expert or a leader or anything. I'm just a student of history. I have my master's degree in cultural studies and humanities. But look, so, you know, just, just as a preface, right? I'm not, this is not, I'm not, you know, I've never experienced the kind of civil rights injustices that my black brothers and sisters have, but I really appreciate Martin Luther King Jr.'s approach, he understood the proper, like, I feel like he walked this narrow, this narrow path, this razor's, this razor edge between compassion and conflict, right? Like, he went and he had peaceful marches. He believed in passive resistance. This is why I think his approach was so poignant and important because he was trying to, what was he trying to do? He wasn't just trying to stir up anger about injustice. He was trying to stir people on the other side to compassion for his cause, right? Think about that. It's one thing to get out on the streets and rant and rave and fume, right? And say, we've been wronged. But how do you move the people, even the people who are wronging you or the people who are complicit without even realizing it, how do you move them to compassion for your cause? I think Martin Luther King Jr. was brilliant. He didn't just go out and say, you all are wrong and fume and, and fuel the fire, right? He was actually pointing to a wrong. But he wasn't calling people wrong. He was, calling, he was pointing to something else as wrong, not people he was pointing to a system that people were complicit with but i think the brilliance was that most of those people didn't even realize that they were complicit with systemic racism so martin luther king knew he had to walk a fine line because he knew he needed the very people complicit with the system who that was oppressing him to get on his side and to see the issues and to rise up with him like he knew he couldn't create enemies in his cause he knew that those who perceived themselves as his enemies needed to be turned into his friends and allies. Does that make sense? Like, the people, very people who were propagating and complicit with a system of oppression, of oppressing even him, he knew that those people were actually also victims of that same system. And the purpose and the point of his passive resistance was to reveal to them the very, the very evil in their own hearts by showing that they were complicit with an evil system. So I think he was careful not to call people evil, but to call the system evil. So I think when it comes to violence, we must make a distinction between violence towards individuals and violence towards a system. Martin Luther King Jr. for sure wanted to do violence to an oppressive system, but he understood that to do violence to people trapped in that same system would only perpetuate oppression and hate. When when you use oppression to combat oppression, you just further oppression. You cannot use hate and anger and oppression to eradicate hate, anger, and oppression. Martin Luther King Jr. understood that only love for others can overcome hate and oppression. And so he reached out through love, even to those very people who were complicit in a oppressive system. And he said, basically, he tried to... He tried to engage and incite them to love by saying, do you realize that you're complicit with a system of oppression? Like, in a, in the most loving way he could. And you know what? It worked. It worked. Yes, people still didn't like him. People still pointed fingers and claimed that he was inciting the... the um, Right so there were no problems and it was just him creating a problem. He was some people saw him as the problem. But he knew how to lovingly call people to see their own their own compliance with an evil system. And I think he because he believed in the goodness of every human heart. I think Martin Luther King Jr believed that if people really saw the harm they were doing to another person and could actually be made to feel compassion and feel repentance, then they would change. Martin Luther King Jr., I think, had a good, clear understanding of human nature. Right? He called us to the better angels of our nature, right? I think he believed that if people truly understood what they were doing, they would correct the wrong if they could see it. And that was what he pinned his whole movement on. He understood. It wasn't enough to flip the tables and be and become an oppressor to his oppressors. I talked about that in the first podcast. Breaking the cycle of oppression, right? I think he understood that so well. And guess who he learned that from? Jesus. Jesus was the first contemplative. He was the first mystic, right? Jesus, one of his main messages was love of the other. And if that doesn't make sense to you, the other is that other person who's not like you, who's the most unlike you. It's also who he called your enemies you just said love your enemies do kindness to those who hate you why well they're not your enemy anymore if you love them right and how do you turn your enemy the other the one most unlike you how do you how do you create a bond that connects you where you see that you're really not enemies you love them and you love them and you love them and when you love them long enough and hard enough eventually that love will produce a positive return from them to you. It's not always true with every individual, but over the long haul, if we are loving the people that hate us, eventually that love will bear out in their hearts and they will understand that hate is truly a human dysfunction. That is... The truth no person is comfortable and cozy with hate it never feels good that is the negative spiritual energy in the world it doesn't feel good we don't feel good when we hate we don't feel good when we are angry but the problem is like when we're being beat down and beat up it does make us angry and that cry for help is the fact that we don't want to feel this way it's a negative we want to get out of it but we can't it's not that we want to feel angry and hurt and then hurt others. That's not the right way. We, and we recognize that. So I believe we respond to love because that's where we really want to go. We want to resolve the tension and the conflict naturally. Every person, nobody wants to live in conflict and, and feeling hated and hating others and doing harm because we cannot harm another without harming ourselves. Like I love this phrase... Um, Bitterness is like swallowing poison in order, in order to kill somebody else. That's a, there's a better way to put that. But it's like me drinking poison wanting to kill you. That's bitterness, right? Anger and bitterness and hate. We're hurting ourselves the most. We're the most oppressed by hate. And like the goal is to find a different way out of it. That doesn't lead us further into it. We have to break the cycle. Man, how do we do that? That's what Jesus was talking about. How do you break the cycle of hate? Well, they hate me and they hurt me. So I'm going to just hurt them. Because that's what the, that's called reciprocity. That's just doing that's tit for tat. If you're hurting me and my only response is to hurt you back, then what's your response? You hurt me back. And then what happens? It's a cycle. A cycle of hurt. Well, oh, how the only way we can break that is if one of those two people in that cycle or one of those two groups stops doing the hurting and says, Okay, someone has to be mature enough to stand up and say, I, I, Let me be but one who does not oppress the world. Yes, like, I mean, you can see the cycle of hate. Can lead to a whole world full of everybody being hurt at some point by somebody else. And so just responding out of hate. And if, like, the end result of that course of action is a whole world at war. Does that sound familiar? Look around the world. Is there any place that you see where there's war and conflict? And oppositional sides throwing stones at each other. I mean, you must—you probably don't live in that kind of world, do you? Right? Your world is like everybody loves everybody, and there's no pol- political parties, calling each other names, and there's no—you know—I'm sure your world is just fine. <laughs> right? No, we live in the most polarized, bipartisan—I think—political climate that's that's ever been. I mean, that's true in America. I think that's just true, like. There's war, there's famine, there's oppression, there's refugees being pushed out. There's just like this is the result of responding to hate with hate. Jesus' teaching was radical and it required great sacrifice. How hard is it to respond to hate with love? And that's exactly exactly what Jesus called us to do and exactly the example that Martin Luther was following. Because he knew the only way out was to break the cycle. And he was strong enough and wise enough and courageous enough and compassionate enough to be the one to break the cycle. The very one that was being oppressed by that system. You know, I think, like anyone, you, you know, for all of us, we could sit and say, okay, I'm in a world and there's so many people that are oppositional towards me. Whatever, whatever stance, whatever place you're in in life, like, You can see you're surrounded by people who don't agree with you, who are oppositional. Like, so what? You can participate in that same system, the oppositional system of conflict, or, and then you can just complicit with a system that is inbred and born out of hate. And then what are you doing? How are you any better? And how can you call anybody else to anything better? How can you set an example and say, I know the way out. Yeah, let's go hate. Let's hate. Yeah, let's go hate some more. Let's go beat people down some more yeah that's what they did to us that's that's the answer right that works no of course not how can we stop we've got to go a different way we've got to move to a different place we've got to have the strength to love our enemies we've got to have the strength to stop the cycle and call people to a different way the thing that brought us into this cycle is going to get us out it takes one person not repeating the cycle. That's hard. That's a hard truth. But show me another way. Hate leads to more hate. We won't get out repeating the cycle. We'll get out breaking the cycle. The only thing that breaks the cycle of hate leading to more hate and hurt leading to more hurt is love leading to more love. Love your enemies. Passive resistance. Let people see just how hurtful they're being, but not in a hateful way. And also come alongside hurting people and say, hey, let me be not one who oppresses the world. I will be one. I'm I'm with you. I see your hurt. I understand. And I understand maybe I've been complicit in that system too. But I see it and I'm going to stop. I love you. That's it. That's it. I love you. Someone who hates you, if you're to break the cycle, you're the only way to break that is to say, you hate me, but I love you. Okay, yeah, you hate me. You want to hurt me. You did hurt me. But I love you. Oh, you hurt me again? I still love you. That was the most hateful thing you've ever done. But guess what? I still love you. Are you okay? Why? Why? Like Why are you acting this way? What's going on? I care about you. I I see that you're hurting. I like that phrase, hurting people hurt people. Here's my addition. But healing people heal people. We cannot get out if we don't reverse the cycle. And so I think it's brilliant what Martin Luther King Jr. devised. He understood there is a focus of anger in a proper way towards an evil system. But you have to understand, people often, the the most complicit in an evil system, probably don't really see it. People don't want to do evil. Most people. Most people are trying to do what they think is good. But when they're complicit in an evil system, the very nature of the evil system tells them that evil is good. They think that they're doing something good. Their idea of good is what's wrong not their desire to do good. And so the way out is to, as Martin Luther King Im- imagined it, and Jesus imagined it, was to, in loving them, and to lovingly show them the harm of that system that they're complicit with. To love the person, to do violence to the system. The way we disband and, and tear down evil systems is to show the people complicit in them that they're evil. <laughs> That's awesome. And how do we do that? Well, we show them love. We love them. And and then I think this is really key too. When we love someone, someone who hates us, guess what we also do? We earn the right to speak to them, to speak into their lives. Like you come in kicking down the door of someone's life and saying, you're bad, this is bad, that's bad. You think they're gonna listen to you from the other side? If you're hating someone and hurting someone who's hurting you, then, then you expect them to also come to the table and listen to what you have to say about your grievances? Like we earn the right to speak to people when they know we care about them and we love them. Man, talk about opening deaf ears. People are much more likely to hear what you have to say when they think and know that you care about them. Like how else can it work? Hey, I hate your guts and I wish you would die, but would you please make some changes in your life that I'm suggesting? No, it's more like that. (laughs) Obviously that's absurd. More like, hey, you know what? I care about you. I care about all people. I, I'm not for that, this group and against that group. Yeah, so maybe I'm more conservative or maybe I'm more liberal. But look, that doesn't mean that I hate conservatives or liberals. Or, Look, I care about people, all people. I care about you. Okay, uh, that's, okay I get that. Yeah, so let's talk. Okay, how can we create a space to come together, to talk, to even have a conversation? If There's not a mutuality. If there's not this idea that hey we're all at least human and we all understand that we all deserve decent human respect and dignity that is the that is the only field where we can come together with people that we think are on the opposite side and have a conversation if we rule out the possibility for even a conversation between opposing groups or people nothing will change how do we move the conversation into a neutral space where even the very people who think they hate us would actually be willing to come down and listen to what we have to say. Set that hate, that frustration aside for a minute and listen. Like, like, I think so much of the time when we're wounded and injured, what do we do? We demand justice. We demand to be heard. We demand that everybody else sit the heck down and shut up and listen. That is an aggressive energy. That's the aggressive energy of hate. That's a taking energy that only fuels the very thing we're trying to solve. It doesn't work. You cannot demand someone listen. You can invite them into a space where they are loved first, where they understand that you don't hate them, where you've proven and you've shown through action first that you are a loving person and that you love them. And then you create the potential and the possibility for a conversation. That conversation may never happen. They may never let go of their hate. But guess what? When, you've let go on, let, let, when you have let go of yours, at least you are no longer caught up in that cruel, harmful, negative cycle. So you've at least begun to heal yourself. And I guarantee Without a doubt, when you are a loving person in the world when you are a healing person in the world, you will produce healing in others. you will show others the way to love. But man it's hard. <laughs> I don't I don't mix any words or I, I don't underestimate the difficulty of that paradigm. How can we love? Our enemies, the people, the very people that seem to hate us and treat us the worst, seem to hate us the most. That does does that seem? It seems. It seems like a superpower. It seems like you'd have to be superhuman to do that, right, man? But I believe there is actually a source of love available to us that can lead us into that kind of superhuman maybe supernatural ability to love our enemies. I love the example. I'm a Christian, I'm a contemplative. I actually believe in a form of Christianity that doesn't have God dividing people between good and bad, between the hated and the loved. So, I mean, religion has been just as much complicit in a cycle of hate as anything. But, like, I love the example of Jesus. He was put on a cross by the powerful elite of his day. He was persecuted by an evil system, a political and a religious system that was evil, that was more ready to sacrifice him for its own power. But what did he say in the very throes of death to the very people that put him there? Father, please forgive them. I have no idea what they're doing. Man, gosh, that gets me. <laughs> Man. Man, I, I just I can't think of a better image, a better picture of love in the face of such cruelty and hate. <sighs> Man, I want to be like that. I believe that's the only way we're getting out of this. If we can learn to be like that. But you know what? What Jesus also said. He said, I don't do this alone, I can't. I'm not doing this in my own strength, I'm not just a human. I mean, I know, according to the Christian tradition, Jesus was God, but he was fully human, okay? He had, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He was baptized at 33, I think 30, sorry, I don't know. Thir- I think it was, we think he was 30, he was baptized. He had the indwelling of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of, like the Holy Spirit is the empathic Spirit of God. The, the intuitive, the spirit that is connected. And like that's what my, my, uh, my tradition of contemplation teaches, that God is the energy in all things. And so connects all things in love, through love, by love, for love. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Like God is the energy of love in the universe. And so the more connected we are to that energy and source of love, which is boundless, which is perfect, the more we are able to draw from a well, a deep well of love that grounds us in a different way as love in the world. So I think it isn't humanly possible to love our enemies that well. We can try, but you cannot just push down. Like I think the only thing humanly possible is to kind of push down what we would call passive-aggressive, to push it down, push it down until we can't anymore. And so then we explode, and then we just look like this berserk Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde where sometimes we're nice and loving and kind even to people who aren't. And sometimes we like lose our – lose it. And fly off and just become hurtful and hateful in a moment. That's not a solution. Stuff it, stuff it, stuff it till we can't anymore. That doesn't really bring peace to us or others. It doesn't bring peace at all to stuff. So the only real solution as far as I'm concerned, as a contemplative, as a mystic, is I need to get in touch with a source that gives me the strength beyond myself to love others well. That's what Jesus taught. I don't think there's another way. I don't think I don't think that this formula is really in doubt, right? I don't think that anyone would say, "No, no, 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 we can we can cure hate with hate. We can cure violence with violence," like that quote. No, we we can bomb the world to peace. <laughs> we can just eradicate every bad person and the world's going to be fine. <laughs> No, I don't think anyone really believes. I think we practice that, but pra- practically, and we're just sometimes we're just reacting. It's hard not to react, you know. It's hard not to react and reciprocity, and kind to just give out what we're getting, to give back what we're getting, you know. It's hard. I don't think anyone is in doubt that we need to break the chain of violence and hate. But I think it's certainly a hard line to follow. I don't think there's any doubt that few people can do it. If you think the solution is getting rid of all the bad people, man, I mean, I, I know, like I can tell you, Christianity has often taught that idea. The bad people go to hell, the good people go to heaven, you know, just separate, separate, separate. I mean, that's not separate. Love does not separate from people. As a means to healing christianity has practiced that model sometimes we've been taught a wrong model and we've been taught a wrong idea of some of sin and heaven and hell i believe but the problem is it's not outside you it's inside you that's also what contemplation teaches it calls us contemplation calls us to get quiet to look inside and to see inside the same problem that we see outside, they're one and the same. That's what I spent my first, the first part called, uh, was called systems. Like that's what I talked about, the micro and the macro. If there's a problem in the macro of any system, then the same problem is going to be inherent in the micro. But if we solve the problem in the micro, we begin to solve the problem in the macro. The problem in my culture is more than likely a problem also in me. But here's the beautiful flip of that paradigm is when I begin to work on the problem in me, I also by nature, by, by, by the very nature of solving it in me, I also begin to solve it in my culture. When I become one healed person, I become a source of healing for others. When I become less reactive to hate with hate, when I can break the cycle, when I can become one person to break the cycle, then I begin to reverse that cycle for others too around me. Let me be but one person who does not oppress the world. I think that is the solution. And, but here's the cool thing. Like what, as I go on my healing journey to heal the anger in me and the frustration and my bad responses to injustice, I learn I learn how to live as a peaceful person, a loving person. And then what? what I have something to teach others about being <laughs> a peace, peaceful person a loving person in the world if the solution is love and the solution is love in the face of hate passive resistance loving our enemies as i learn to love my enemies i become an example of what it looks like to love to love people who hate me and hurt me and then i'm a i'm an example and i'm showing others a different way so i really think that's it I, and again like It's not something we can do on our own. And and, like there's just so many ways we can imagine and envision this process, but go to counseling. I think counseling is wonderful. Find a faith community that really leans hard into loving the other. I don't care if it's Jewish, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, Christian, find a healthy, loving faith community that is going to encourage you to be a healthy, faithful, loving person. But also, ultimately, I think we need to bring God in and say... Well, like there was a song by David. He says, search my heart, O God, and see if there's any evil way in me. He says unclean, but he means evil. Like, God, it starts with me. I'm talking about the man in the mirror. (laughs) Dude... (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Michael Jackson. I'm talking about the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to make a change. Because no message could be any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself. And then make that change. Woo! <laughs> yeah. Na-na-na. Na-na-na. na na Ho-ho. Hey. Don't make fun of me. A white guy trying to sing Michael Jackson. <laughs> but man, it's true. Like... Look in the mirror. That's what God calls. That's what contemplation and God calls us to do. Look at yourself. Look at yourself first. Keep looking at yourself. Keep working at it in yourself. Bring God into the process. Contemplation invites God and says, it just invites God as a higher perspective. And says, look, you know, like we just have so much blindness when it comes to our inner workings. I know that's true. I'm a very introspective person. I'm a contemplative, but look, in my arrogance, I remember at times saying to other people who were accusing me of bad actions, saying, look, I know my own heart, <laughs> In my arrogance, thinking I know everything that's going on inside. But look, as God, man, there's just nobody like God to come in and say, yeah, you probably see some things. But dude, there's about three billion layers beneath what you see that you have no idea, but I do, and I can walk you through the process. I can give you the strength. I can give you wisdom. I can give you clarity. I can tell you the next step because, like, there's a process. You can't dive five, seven layers down and not address the first six layers above it. But we, you know, we need a guide. I love how the Quakers think about God. They call God an inner divine light that illuminates our inside. And begins to do this work this restorative work of showing how our hearts are complicit with evil systems sometimes those evil systems are religious sometimes they're political they're often social they're what our group might affirm as right but what is actually oppressing another group and we don't usually realize it and so to sit and say not me I didn't do that. I'm not over there oppressing that person or those people. I'm not, I am not don't even live in that city or that state or that country. That, that's just ignorance. I'm going to call it what it is, and I'm not trying to be rude, but that's ignorance. That's ignorance of your inner workings, and a lot of times we are, and that's just reality. and That's okay, but it's not okay to just say, not my problem. I didn't do that. I didn't oppress those people 100 years ago, true as that may be you might be complicit with the very same system that's repeating the very same kind of actions that are just as oppressive today and that's the point the point is don't excuse yourself if you live in a culture that has that is unhealthy in any way you don't you're not you don't have social teflon you don't live in isolation you are affected dude we are the least isolated of, Any culture ever, we have social media, 24-7 news. You are not isolated. You are not exempted. You are not exonerated. That is no excuse. You cannot say there's no hate in your heart towards another group. And that is the beauty. I talked about this in the last post too, but that hate points us towards what needs to be addressed and resolved in ourselves. You've got to get in yourself first. And that was the beauty of Jesus and Martin Luther. They both said, or they both attempted in calling out an evil system to point to the hearts of every person individually, to try and bring to bear the evil of a system to those who were complicit with it and in it. Because they believed, and I believe as a contemplative, that when we truly are able to examine our hearts, we will see And we will grow out of the things that are perpetuating the system of hate and oppression. And we'll understand, like, we're all oppressed by hate. You can't hate another person without hurting yourself. We're not separate. As contemplation teaches, we're all connected by love for love. We're made for love. To be love. To perpetuate love and hate. We feel it. We know it's wrong. We can't stand it. It is, it is, it's death. It kills us. I, I, I don't, I'm not a scientist, but I have little doubt that anger and hate, I mean, this is what we call, what science would call psychosomatic, where emotional things can affect physical realities. I have no doubt that things like cancer, why they have biological roots, could certainly be at least somewhat affected by this spiritual negativity that we invite into our lives. Hate. Jesus once said, if you hate your brother or sister in your heart, it's the same as if you've murdered them. Hate is a murdering energy. It murders others and it murders us even if we're not physically engaged in trying to hurt someone, we're still in our heart wanting them to be hurt. And it hurts them and it hurts us. We have to understand, like, there's no other option. We have to understand we need to move away from hate. It is not good. You are not absolved and you are not separate. If there's hate around you, there's hate in you. Whether you recognize it or not, you need to get free of it. We all need to get free of it because we become when we become free of it we start to become a freedom for others to get free of it <laughs> like we've got to take the only path that is the true path out of this we have to understand too anger is a part of it it's okay to do violence to violent systems it's not okay to do violence to people because you just create and perpetuate violence and violent systems. You actually affirm the violence of a system when you do violence. Or, I'm sorry. I've, you affirm the violence of a system when you do violence to the individuals within it. It, it can, it, it's, I know it's a fine line sometimes. It's okay to hate evil systems. It's not okay to hate people complicit in them. Because most often, they don't realize it. Man, it can be hard for people to change their minds about things. It takes time, and that's unfortunate and that's frustrating. We're still dealing with injustice towards minorities, towards the black community, towards Hispanic, towards refugees, Hispanics, you know, anybody not the mainstream. We're still dealing with that. It takes time, and I wish it didn't take time. Man, if we can't be patient with the process, it won't happen. Like, If you want it to happen tomorrow, right now, and you're going to kick down doors and just tear everything apart and burn everything to the ground, that energy of destruction cannot produce life. (laughs) I know it's hard. It's hard to hear. It's even harder to carry out. But I think that's the challenge. You want to see evil systems meet an evil end, and you've got to come at it some other way besides hate violence and evil you don't have to agree with me that's fine Like you might have a different view of things, that's fine I hope at least I've made you think and stop and consider can you bomb the world to peace (laughs) can you eradicate all the bad people who are the bad people Maybe it's you. I know it's me. I know I've been complicit in evil systems. I know some of my own religious background and training, teaching, beliefs have been evil. Have taught me that it's okay to cast some people to hell. And to view and affirm a God that plays favorites and hates some people and loves others. I know. Okay. I'll admit it, sometimes it takes us being humble and saying, you know what, it's hard to hear, but maybe, maybe I haven't been that loving towards you. Maybe I've just turned a blind eye. Maybe I haven't done a damn thing to help another person. Maybe I'm just here for myself. Maybe I need to recognize, I'm living my life making it as good as i can for myself but i haven't done a damn thing to uplift and change the cause and the course of any other person except me and mine me my group the people that are my friends the people that are my group and my religion and my whatever my is maybe 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 it's me maybe the problem's me it's easy to point fingers. Problem's always somewhere else. Maybe it's time. We go a different direction instead of pointing out. Maybe it's time we point in. Man. Oh, I got chills. I'm like tearing up here. I, I just, I believe. I believe in contemplation. I believe in the power and the energy of a loving God to point us in a different direction. Away from hate. And I believe it points us first to ourselves. As much as I was having fun with that song by Michael Jackson, I, I, I think it's true. I am talking to the man in the mirror. What about you? Oh, I know it's heavy. <laughs> I can feel the weight of it. Man, but isn't it worth it? Don't we want to see peace Peace for our, peace for our lives, peace for our children, peace for our children's children, peace, even peace for our enemies, children, peace for that other religion we think is just awful. Peace. Don't we want peace for others? And don't we understand that peace for some while others are being oppressed won't last? peace for everybody or peace for no one that's it you cannot create pockets of peace in the middle of a raging battlefield it won't last long we're together we're in it together and we lose together or we die together once you realize that I think everything else becomes clear you can have no enemy you can hate no one Without making yourself your own enemy. Without hating yourself. Man. (laughs) Dang. I hope this is getting through. I I hope you hear from my heart to yours. Compassion and love and kindness. A heart for peace and for love. A heart for love for all people. I believe in that. It's not going to happen accidentally. Yeah, we all want world peace. What are you going to do about it? That's the question. Starts with you. Starts in you. Could it, but once it starts in you, it grows and it spreads out. Ah. Mm. Good stuff. I am. Uh, Uh, I'll end with this. I was checking back over my notes. I don't usually make notes, but these are blog posts that I I come back to, the themes, and try and, you know, speak new life into them. But, like, this is the one thing I'll end with. Um, I just, I'm profoundly struck by the life of Martin Luther King Jr. Like, like Jesus, man. He just had an uncanny, supernatural ability to love. I mean, loving your enemies? Just, who does that? You know, he died April 4th, 19... Sixty-eight. You know, I was born April 4th, 1973, six years later. <sighs> I'm not that man. But man, I believe in that man. I believe that he believed in another man, Jesus. I believe in the heart to bring people back together. I believe in that cause. I believe there's no coincidence that I was born six years later to the day that Martin Luther King Jr. died. I believe in the cause. And I will stand up for that cause to love the other, to have compassion, to break the cycle of hate with love. I believe in that. Hey, thanks for listening. I love all of you. This has been the Modern Contemplative Podcast. You can always catch more content on www.modernconsumplative.com. You can go and check out the blog post that coincides with this podcast. As always, look, I follow some of the themes, but I really try and, and kind of do the podcast different than the blog. So you might catch different things in the blog. If you notice, if you go to my blog site, if you catch me on Spotify, wherever, you'll see in the icon squares one will say construction month, the other will say modern contemplative. So just so you can kind of, if you like one or the other, you can kind of delineate through that method. So, hey, anyway, love you guys. Check it out. There's nine parts to this. This is part two, so pay attention. Stay tuned. All right. Love you guys. Bye.